Hello and welcome back to Wavelengths. It's still a show about video game news, and I'm still Brendan Bigley. I got my coffee. Let's get into the news. I would say the biggest, most obvious thing to talk about that happened in this past week, uh, outside of Tears of the Kingdom, which I will get to later, is the fact that E3 is canceled this year. And the way it's being talked about, at least amongst people who are in the industry and like seem to know more than what has been publicly announced, it seems like E3 is just like gone, gone. Like it's dead. It's not coming back. Which I'm a little bit all over the place about. I mean, look, here's the thing about E3. If it wasn't for the fact that at one point in time, the ESA, which is the company that runs E3, had the foresight to be like, wouldn't it be cool if we live streamed this around the world on our website and, you know, various other places? Um, I don't think I would be like sitting here doing this right now. I think I think that the fact that I could, while I was in like high school, tune into a live broadcast of E3 and watch it happen. Um, I think even if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong about this, but I think even G4, when G4 was a, a television channel, also streamed E3 or at least the press conferences and would have like interstitials with, with talking heads kind of talking about what happened in between, which is honestly really cool. And being able to tune in and watch that stuff as someone who was like not in the industry gave me this goal to reach for. I, I always had this thought that was like, I would love to go to E3 one day. And I, I still would have, I think, uh, were, it, were it to continue existing. It, it, it gave me this idea of like, wouldn't it be cool if I, Brendan Bigley, started doing this kind of stuff with the idea that eventually I could get to E3 and like experience that in person at least once. And I think the more that time has gone on, since having that thought when I was in high school, um, the less of a, the less I wanted to actually do that a lot. Like I, I really kind of pared it down to like I will go to E3 one time at least, just to say that I did it and that'll be it. You know, I'll do anything once. I'll give that a shot. Why not? Um, but the more people I've talked to in the industry, because as time has gone on, doing into the Aether and things like this, you know, you, you start to meet people, and and the more people I've met who have gone to E3, the more in the lead up to E3, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to go to E3. <laughs> uh, so I think in that regard, you know, there there are a lot of people who are like just happy that they don't have to go to a gigantic industry event filled with thousands of people, um, which I understand. Also, I mean, there's the pandemic of it all, right? COVID is still happening. And as we saw from GDC, it's still spreading, you know, and like sickness is still spreading rampantly at conventions like this giant in-person events are just kind of a hotbed for for like disease and sickness unfortunately uh so in that respect e3 is also a little bit of like a well why would we risk it when there's something like summer games fest which is just uh jeff Keeley's thing which you know is a totally online event there's actually this tweet from from jeff Keeley that i thought was interesting uh it's, it's a picture of him <laughs> And the guy dressed as Duke Nukem, and it says, here's 15-year-old me at the first ever E3 in 1995. E3 meant so much to me, and to so many of you too. Four years ago, I realized that E3 wasn't evolving as it needed to compete in a global digital world, so we started building what's next. See you at Summer Games Fest, June 8th. It's really funny that every time there's any kind of announcement that, like, E3 is wavering at all, Jeff immediately pops off with a tweet like that, but... This is the first one I've ever seen where it's like, I actually have a reverence for E3. Like, I actually I actually care a lot about E3. It's not just like, hey, Summer Games Fest is going to kick E3's ass. It's more like, this is an important thing to a lot of people, and I understand that. Uh, but 
we all have to recognize that it just like it just didn't get there. You know, it just didn't it just didn't do what it needed to do. And that's why I brought up at the top. It's really interesting to me that a long time ago they had the foresight to be like, we should live stream this. This should be a thing that's like televised and broadcast around the world because previous to that, E3 was very much an industry only event and it really existed for, you know, the shareholders of like Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony uh, and, and Sega and the other players in the space uh, to see what was coming and be like, yes, I'm feeling good about my investment in this stock that said turning it into a more live broadcast and open-ended event for you know industry people but also enthusiasts alike allowed e3 to evolve into this kind of like bigger more celebratory thing um i mean i I remember people calling it gamer christmas for like years (laughs) which is in hindsight really kind of cringy but uh is still kind of funny what I find interesting now is, you know, we have Summer Games Fest, which I I like, to be clear. I think Jeff Keighley has gotten better at hosting these events year over year. Um, and in the absence of E3, that kind of means there's going to be less fighting over, I guess, who gets to premiere what at what event, which I think could be interesting. You know, if, if Summer Games Fest starts getting the brunt of the reveals and the brunt of the announcements, like, that's really interesting. But what I think is really smart about what Jeff is doing with Summer Games Fest is this idea that, yes, there is, like, the kickoff event, right? He does this big hosted thing that <laughs> last year, I think, was, like, hours long. But generally, he does this big live-streamed hosted thing. But he's very much aware that, like, Nintendo is not going to do their direct in the Summer Games Fest stream. So Summer Games Fest, to him, and the way that it's been marketed, which is brilliant, is, like, Summer Games Fest starts here but goes through this date. Like it's a it's a longer event. The first year was interesting because it was such a it was such a broad space. I think he started it at the end of May and then it went until August. And it was like, what is Summer Games Fest really outside of like an amorphous three month period that Jeff has just claimed as his own? But I I think kind of shortening that that broad scope a little bit, uh, reining it in a little bit, opening it with this big kickoff event, and then saying like over the next couple of days we're going to have a Nintendo Direct and Xbox is going to do their showcase with Bethesda and Sony will probably have something. Um, I think is really interesting. But we're also seeing the rise of these smaller events alongside that. And Summer Games Fest, instead of being one moment in time, but instead being a kind of broader reach and using that platform to elevate the smaller events... I think is what E3 should have done a long time ago, which is, I think, what Jeff is talking about in his tweet. E3 just didn't evolve. The ESA just didn't evolve it at all. They were so, so committed to having a physical location and demanding so much of people by way of, like, you need to be here at this time to see this thing. It just it just is untenable, especially in, like, a post-quarantine and, like, continued pandemic world. So personally, I'm pouring one out for E3. Uh, I I loved it, honestly. I thought it was really fun, but it was clear that it was never going to stick around. There was also that year that they just doxed all the press. (laughs) The year they accidentally leaked all of the phone numbers and addresses of all the people with press badges, which was like completely unhinged. Um, Yeah, I I just there was just no way it was going to come back, really, unfortunately. And such is life, you know. 
Next, I want to shout out a couple uh, game updates and announcements and releases that I think are really interesting. The first that just happened this morning at the time of this recording um, is that Vampire Survivors is getting their second DLC. It's going to be $2. I'm amazed at how cheap everything Vampire Survivors related is. It's going to be $2. Uh, it's called Tides of the Foscari. It's coming April 13th, and it's going to have eight new characters, 13 new weapons, one new stage, and a bunch of new like music and achievements, um, which I'm honestly really excited about. I think Vampire Survivors just getting like more and more updates that allow players to express themselves in new ways and blend new ideas of what weapons can be together. That's really exciting. That just makes Vampire Survivors better, right? That's why we play Vampire Survivors in the first place is why I think it took off in such a big way is you know the simplicity of being able to just press like one button to exist in the game you know the verb is move and like hopefully hit some things while you're at it um adding more ways to be creative in that in that style i think is uh is just a plus for vampire survivors so a, a good game is about to get better some other quick ones i want to shout out voice of cards the yoko taro uh like bizarre kind of card game rpg thing um that he and a team at square enix have been working on for the past couple of years has been released as a trilogy which i i think is a little bit of a bummer um because that really just means to me that they're not making any more of them i feel like i was like i was frequently going to bat for voice of cards i think these games are really cool i think they're interesting kind of deconstructions and uh experiments within the turn-based rpg genre um and each one from the first one was called the isle dragon roars uh, and then I, I think the second one was called The Forsaken Maiden, and then the third one was called The Beast of Burden. They all have really interesting new mechanics layered on. So, like, the first one, Isle Dragon Roars, is very much just like a straight-up turn-based RPG. You're just battling monsters in dungeons, you know, trying to get a thing, a MacGuffin. I, I won't tell you what it is. The second one, The Forsaken Maiden, involves, like, sailing around the world and traveling and picking up new party members, which is really fun. And the third one, Beast of Burden, is, like, Pokemon adjacent in a way. Um, it's like, what if Yoko Taro made a Pokemon game? Which I'm just amazed that people weren't going wild for these games, especially because they're, like, really affordable. Um, and they were available on Switch and on Steam and now are available pretty much everywhere, including, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, including iOS, Android, and, and iPad as well um, on the iOS side, which I always thought, and I think I remember saying this on Into the Aether in the very first episode that we talked about the Isle Dragon Roars, when that first came out, it feels so made for a touchscreen and specifically for a tablet. Um, playing it on the Switch in particular, I was like, man, if this was on my iPad, this is all I would do. And now it is available on my iPad. And uh, boy, have I been playing it. It's really good. Um, so I would recommend at least checking one of them out. I think I think you could start with Beasts of Burden. It's probably the most interesting one. Um, but they're all cool in their, in their own right. So check those out. Voice of Cards, the trilogy now available. The third game I want to shout out that dropped recently is called Terra Nil, which is uh, a reverse city builder, as it's called. It is essentially a game where you're given just this barren wasteland and you need to install a bunch of kind of like robots and drones and buildings that will terraform the land and turn it into like a hospitable, beautiful, lush environment. So you're not trying to build like a city with people in it. You're trying to build uh, and reclaim nature and instill like life, like animals and trees and things like that, different kinds of biomes. Um, it's really cool. It's a really, really wonderful game. But the reason I wanted to shout it out is, first of all, it's available on Steam, but you can also get it via Netflix, which I think is really interesting because this is the thing that I constantly hear. Every time I see a game get released via Netflix, 
I always see comments below that that are like, what do you mean Netflix? Like Netflix makes games? What's going on here? Um, so I just wanted to shout out, Netflix has a bunch of games. You can go get them on your phone or your tablet on iOS and Android. It's available for both. Anytime Netflix releases a game, it's available on both, which I think is amazing. Um, but they, they have been doing this kind of double duty of both publishing new stuff, which is cool, like Terra Nil, but also almost reclaiming and paying for the development of mobile versions of other indie hits. Um, so a quick rundown of some Netflix games that I'm all about. I made a list on Backlog. I'll put it in the description here. Some of the other games that I think are really great on Netflix that you can just go get if you have a Netflix account. You can just hop onto your app store on iOS or Android and, and just download them and start playing them. So Terra Nil, obviously. Reigns, if you played Reigns, it's a great... Um, I, I remember they called it Tinder for Monarchies when it first came out. There's a new one that is only available for Netflix. Shatter Remastered uh, Deluxe, which is a, a great um, kind of like arcade score chase game. Immortality, one of my favorite games of last year. Unbelievable. Uh, TMNT Shredder's Revenge is on there, which I think is amazing. Point P, which is uh, a game by the developer of Downwell. It's, it's the follow-up to Downwell in which you go up a well instead of down. Incredible. Uh, Relic Hunter's Rebels is, is kind of a, a hidden gem, I think, amongst all of these. Um, which is a kind of like twin stick shooter experience. Uh, it's really fun. Cats and Soup is uh, a fun little idle game where you uh, have a big herd of cats who are making soup in a forest. Uh, Before Your Eyes, which is a game that will make you cry. Spirit Fair, another game that will make you cry. Moonlighter, great roguelike uh, where by night you're going and uh, crawling through dungeons and fighting enemies and bosses and monsters and things like that. And they're all dropping loot that you then during the daytime sell in a shop really cool like kind of split um in in terms of the the night and day cycle there into the breach the mobile version of into the breach is maybe like one of the best mobile games of all time i think immediately as soon as it came out it was like oh into the breach is on mobile that immediately charts on the list i highly recommend playing it's by it's by the developers of ftl wonderful strategy game um oxen free great story game uh you can play through the whole thing in like probably under 10 hours highly recommend it and then finally Kind of the big one is Kentucky Route Zero, which uh, I would argue is one of the greatest games of all time, period. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. And those are all games that are available on Netflix. And there's way more than the ones that I just mentioned. But man, Netflix is like really doing it. I, I know it's weird to be like, yeah, I, I want to shout out Netflix. Um, you know, the, the giant the giant behemoth corporation that's spending all this money that probably won't work out. I mean, to be clear, I, I think their investment in games like probably won't work out. But at the moment... They're paying a lot of developers to make mobile versions of games. Um, a lot of indie teams in particular are getting money from Netflix. And I say get that bag while you can. And finally, and most importantly, maybe, comes the Tears of the Kingdom update, uh, which was a Nintendo, not direct, it was just a video that they dropped, uh, but they announced that they were going to drop it ahead of time. But it was, it was a 10-minute gameplay demo of what's going on in Tears of the Kingdom, which is the follow-up to Breath of the Wild. Uh, I'm sure you know that if you're watching this already. But really what they showed off in this, which I thought was really interesting, because I think a lot of people are coming into this wondering, like, what is the story? What are we doing? What does the map look like, etc.? Um, really all they showed off were the new abilities. So in, in the first game, everyone knows you had this Sheikah Slate, and the Sheikah Slate had a bunch of abilities, like freeze things or the, the thing that would freeze things in time, and then you could like hit it a bunch, and it would build up all this momentum. So when time unfroze, it would launch into the air, things like that. They had all these interesting abilities. Oh, and the bombs and stuff. They had all these interesting abilities, and what they showed off in this event was really just more of those, which kind of similar to Vampire Survivors in a way is just like 
in this case, literally adding more verbs to the game. So this game was, you know, Breath of the Wild, I think, was kind of hailed for multiple reasons. But one of them was its kind of open-ended structure, the ability to uh, creatively use these different verbs to your advantage. Uh, we all have seen those videos of people who are like chaining a bunch of swords together and then, you know, striking them with lightning. So they create like literally a circuit. Um, things like that are so amazing. And you can tell that the team that makes these games and Nintendo sat back and watched like people kind of, I don't want to say break because it's not even breaking. It's people using this stuff to its fullest extent, I would say, and said, wouldn't it be interesting if a sequel was more focused on adding more ways for you to like have fun and experiment and, and be creative. Uh, and that, that I think is really cool. So the biggest thing that everyone is talking about is this ability called fuse, which lets you take items that are lying on the ground and fuse them together. So it's like one of the solves of weapon durability in a way is weapon durability still exists. But if you take a stick, for example, and add a rock to it, suddenly that thing is way more durable than it was before uh, and also hits harder. And uh, there are a lot of really interesting gameplay applications, I think, that we're going to find when when it comes to that stuff. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see what people come up with. I mean, one of the things that they showed off was a stick with uh, a pitchfork attached to it. So Link had like this giant, giant stick with a, with a pitchfork at the end that he could like poke from like eight body lengths away uh which i love i mean that that kind of stuff is going to be so cool and so interesting um and the ability to also take that and use it to build like vehicles uh very like banjo kazooie nuts and bolts situation is fascinating like you, you can you know build a raft and and take it across the water i i think i think leaning into player creativity is definitely the way to go because the reason i think breath of the wild is still so relevant to this day is there are still videos going around of people doing incredible things with the tool set in that game by itself. Things that seem so outside of the realm of what could or should be possible for most people playing the game. But the people who are still investing time in Breath of the Wild are finding new and creative ways to uh, experience and move throughout Hyrule. So I'm fascinated by all this new stuff. I think it's great. There's the Ascend ability also, which lets you uh, go through the bottom of or like go through the bottom of a ceiling and then come out the other end, um, which is bizarre. I mean, the, the way the way Ionuma talked about it in the video was essentially just a way to go from the bottom of a mountain to the top of a mountain, which is very interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll be curious to see how that's used for like puzzle solving, for example. Um, and then the other one was was reversing time, which I, I'm also really curious to see how that ends up getting used. Um, but all of that said, I, I just think the ability to fuse items together, the, uh, the idea that every single item in the game has a unique ability when fused with some other item, suddenly it all clicks that this is a game that took this long to make because i think when breath of the wild came out everyone was like all right just make a sequel all we literally want is just more of this um and it took a really long time and i mean as soon as you start adding specific abilities to every single item and the ways in which they interact with every other item like it's it really makes sense why this game would take so long to put together um outside of all of that i've seen some people who are like upset that it's the same map i mean first of all it's not right because there are all these floating islands in the sky now so there's a whole second layer of hyrule to explore definitely not just the same map over again and i'm sure there's gonna be changes on the ground as well the other thing is we haven't seen any dungeons and people are like where are the dungeons at? That's kind of the big thing that everybody wanted. After the Divine Beasts, 
situation i'll i'll call it um people are like i would like more i would like more standard zelda dungeons i don't know if that's a staple of zelda anymore i think that's kind of one of the bigger questions for me is like at this point in in post breath of the wild i think that game proved to me i mean a lot of people would say that that is the best zelda game it proved to me that we don't need like the standard zelda dungeon for it to be a good zelda game right so maybe the nintendo team is following that line of logic or maybe they just haven't shown us the dungeons in the game yet you know it's it's also very possible that that they're in there we just don't know um but at the moment the way that i'm feeling about it is like they're giving me so many more ways to express myself in this world that i kind of don't even care about anything else like that's that's what they needed to show me for me to be totally on board with what they're doing personally um you know everything else is a nice to have really uh because truly and i've talked about this before i didn't even finish the game really like i didn't even finish the first game um i i did i did everything except uh except like go fight ganon um because when you finish the Tarrytown side quest the game rolls credits on you and i was like this is actually a good thematic ending for the game uh so that said We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with uh, Tears of the Kingdom just being like a cool sandbox to run around in with a, a bunch of weird verbs and a bunch of weird abilities that I can mess around with. Um, very just cause in that way, which I really love. Um, I don't know. I'm all about it. My other feeling too, and this is, this is maybe totally unrelated to everything else I was talking about, but I really feel like this, this game is going to acknowledge the timeline in some way. I think specifically Nintendo saying that the, that the title would be uh would be a spoiler and then not releasing the title because they didn't want to spoil people is really interesting it's really clear to me now that that tears of the kingdom is not the spoiler but it's instead the ouroboros in the logo that that says a lot to me especially because when skyward sword came out which is a game that they've now ported onto the switch because they want people to be aware of that story when they did that and when they made this logo in Ouroboros, and now we have all these floating sky islands, it seems to me like the idea is we're reining in this Zelda timeline by saying it's cyclical. And we always knew it was cyclical, right? Because there's always a Link, there's always a Zelda, there's always a Ganondorf. But that having been said, I think the idea that like, not only are these three people constants, but this entire story is a constant, and then we can start to expand out from inside of that, that timeline, but we've now established that it's just one big loop. Um, it's cool. It's a cool idea. Uh, at least that's that's the vibe I'm getting, just based on what we've seen so far, which is not that much. <laughs> that's going to be it for me today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Wavelengths. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. You know the drill. Uh, and if you're listening on your podcast app of choice, thank you for doing that. Maybe tell somebody about it. Leave a comment if you're watching on Spotify or listening on Spotify. And... Uh, I don't know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be really helpful as well. So thank you so much. I'll catch you later. Bye, everybody.